Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan Welcome back to the Peruvian Waltz podcast. I'm your host, Peter Galindo. Joining me this week is Kevin Montalvan, only the one Montalvan brother this week, unfortunately, but nonetheless, he is here. So, Kevin, how are you? Doing well, Peter. It's good to be back. It's been an interesting week so far and can't wait for what's coming up next. Indeed, we have a lot to get over in terms of what's uh, coming up next. But uh, before we do, we also have uh, Michael Williams down there in Lima. So, Michael, how are you this evening? Very well, thank you, Peter. Uh, again, looking forward to a, a good conversation. And, and yeah, happy to be in Lima this weekend because it's uh, all the, well, everyone's looking at Lima, really, with the Copa Libertadores final here and yeah, it's going to be a good few days, I think, in the city. Very true, very true. Uh, the Copa Libertadores final is on Saturday. Uh, that should be very entertaining, to say the least. I see that fans have congregated onto the city in the last couple of days. I, I guess before we kind of get into uh, other things, Michael, uh, have you noticed that there is that this massive event coming up? Like, like, what's the city been like recently? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, my I live in Surco, so I live far, sufficiently far away from the Westin Hotel and the Swiss Hotel so that my sleep isn't interrupted by kind of Brazilians on lampposts kind of singing all night. So uh, <laughs> where, where, where I live, and not you, you've not noticed it so much, but... Yesterday I was in in Miraflores and and there was a really nice atmosphere in Miraflores. You know, if you know where the, you know, the Calle de las Pizzas and all the kind of the, the the kind of night spots, so to speak, in Miraflores is a really nice atmosphere, and you could see kind of all fans in their shirts. And I think more and people are coming. So um, yeah, you could you could really tell it in Miraflores. I think in Barranco, but um, where I live, maybe maybe not so much. But yeah, yeah, there's there's lots of people who have arrived. I think everyone's really looking forward to it. It's just going to be it. I think everyone's looking forward to it, but also a little bit worried about the traffic because there's quite a few events on in Lima on Saturday. Uh, it's not just the football. There's concerts going on. I think there's various different concerts. So it's going to be a really uh, a really intense day in Lima, but I think they're all they're all excited to have it here. Yeah. Oh, traffic in Lima, you say? Never, never in a million years <laughs> there'd be traffic in Lima at all. Well, well, well I think one of the I think one of the there's an Argentinian singer who's performing before the the final before the game and he's also he was due to be performing in one of these concerts in the San Marcos stadium so they've got to get him from Ate to the San Marcos stadium in not so so much time so in fact I read in the newspaper they're saying they're thinking about helicoptering him because it's it's going to be impossible for him to get from <laughs> from Ate to, to San Marcos but uh, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's going to be logistically it's going to be difficult but everyone's looking forward to it Oh, that chuckle from Kevin just said it all there. Just <laughs> helicoptering to and from uh, across the city. That, that's the only way to get across sufficiently in time these days with all the traffic in Lima. So, But it's good to hear that at least fans are, are coming and that there is kind of a nice atmosphere building up. Hopefully the game itself in the stadium at the Monumental that continues because that was a bit of a concern, but it looks like fans are at least making the journey over, which is slightly surprising given the short notice some of them had. So let's get into Peruvian football matters then. The national team finished out their 2019 with a 1-0 loss to Colombia, a controversial winner from Alfredo Morelos in the 93rd minute cinched it for Colombia. 
we can say yes or no if it went in or not. I, f- I feel like it probably did. Um, you can never tell by the angles. That's why goal line technology is so great. But nonetheless, it is a defeat for Peru to close out the year. Um, Michael, you watched the game. What were your general thoughts afterwards? Yeah, disappointing. Disappointing the, the, for the goal to be conceded in the last kind of the, in the last seconds. But I don't. I think that's no here nor there, really. I think that whether they draw they or they lost, with a friendly, I think the results the most important thing to take from it. I would say that the first half. I think the first half they played, they played pretty well, and they looked like they controlled the game. And I think from a, a neutral observer. Uh, I had the impression that Peru was the team who looked like they had more of a kind of a defined way of playing, and they looked they looked like they knew what they were what their what their game plan was, and especially in the first half. And the first half in particular was quite positive for for Peru. They controlled the midfield, and they tried this kind of new system, the four four two, which we can argue whether that was a success or not. But I think it was a really valuable experience for Gareca to try a new system and to see what it's like. So I think he takes a lot from the game. Actually, the second half wasn't as good, but. I think you'll mention that he made some changes that were questioned. Um, and I, I think those changes really influenced the second half. I think they, they conditioned it quite a lot. Yeah, they were very strange. And when I saw the substitutions uh, flashed on, on my TV, I thought, what, why is he doing this? Because it was basically, at that point, like a four-zero-six. you could say. Um, like, like, What were your thoughts watching that? Because I myself was a little bit confused. Almost like Gareca just said, you know what, you only live once. Let's just throw out all the attackers, channel my inner Zidnik Zeman and, and, and just go for it here. Yeah, I think we're all, everyone was surprised. I, I was watching it in a bar. And uh, everyone's like, oh, what's, "What's going on?" Made, made all these changes, and so I, I think I think everyone was a bit bewildered by it, perplexed by it. I don't think anybody really criticizes Gareca. He still has so much credit for everything he's done in Peru that I don't think anyone. It's really interesting when you watch a game. No one, no one really uh, goes for him, do they? They just kind of say that's that's a bit of an odd decision, or they a bit a bit confused by it. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think it was an error in hindsight. I, I think they, I think I think I think I think it was narrow in hindsight, and uh, and yeah, I think it kind of spoiled the game a little bit, really, because I think he should have, I think he should have kept it as it was for a bit longer. Yeah, it's almost sacrilege these days to criticize Gadeka fully. Um, you can all, almost really just say, oh, that's kind of curious, or oh, I maybe wouldn't have done that in that situation, but that's fine. I've never seen a coach in Peru get, get that sort of treatment for anything that he might do that that might seem a little bit. Uh, precarious, let's say. Kevin, let's bring you into this because uh, one of the big takeaways for me, at least, was the performance of Pedro Aquino. Uh, He's had his injury problems. Many would say, myself included, that if he manages to stay fit, he's not only a key piece for the national team going forward, but he could also one day end up on a very good European team. Um, The fact that he did play well I don't really think we learned anything from it, but now that the qualifiers are coming up, if he can stay fit, how important do you think he'll be, especially considering Gareca is shifting the formations a little bit here? Before anything, like uh, like Viz said once, um, Gareca has credit. He has like 36 years worth of credit. Right. So uh, I understand all the... You know, if he wants to play changes, uh, change up formations, anything, especially in friendlies, see what you know, throw stuff at the at the wall, see what sticks. But uh, Pedro Aquino, 
has been a solid, solid option. Starter, bench, a guy that's never really complained about where where he is. He just performs. I think he can he can clearly start in a in a four three three, or he can he can certainly challenge for a spot in a four two three one. So I I definitely see his star ascending in this in these qualifiers. Let me ask you a follow up to this. Let's say he does stay fit, which I know is a pretty big asterisk at this point because he can't seem to get any luck to go his way. But assuming he manages to steer clear of injuries and Renato Tapia continues to kind of go in and out of the Feyenoord team, could you see Aquino usurping Tapia in the 11 if they go 4-2-3-1 to start with? Like like I said, I have full confidence in, in slotting him in there. But knowing Gareca, I think he would give Tapia some time, even if maybe it was like, like a year before he decided, okay, you, if you haven't switched teams, you're still, you know, not or being considered, then I'm I'm certainly sure Aquino would take the spot, especially since I personally think Aquino's time in the Americas is 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 coming to an end, whether it's in December, whether it's next summer. Michael, looking at the defensive performance, because up until the goal went in, you could say that Peru was very solid defensively, uh, maybe say for one or two errors from Anderson Santa Maria in the first half. But overall, I thought it looked it looked decent. So with Santa Maria getting the minutes with Atlas in recent weeks um, and Sambrano still not getting minutes with his club, um, could you see Gareca possibly going with Santa Maria and Abram to start the qualifiers? Or do you feel it's still Sambrano uh, and Abram in March? Good question. I uh, I would suspect he will still try and keep Sambrano and Abram together because they worked well in the Copa America. And I think once you have an understanding and you have a, a pair who you like together, I think it's it's quite nice to keep them together, isn't it? But I think Gareca will be a bit concerned about Sambrano's situation in Ukraine because he's not playing at all. He looks like he's well out of the picture there. Um, and it's not a situation that you would have thought that can can go on for a long time. No, there'll be a, there'll be some kind of repercussion. I I would imagine. So uh, yeah, I think I think I think it's really important for for Gareca to to have a look at the other options he's got and to know that he can call on them at any time. Um, but I would expect that he would want to keep Sambrano and and Abran together if he possibly could. I'm sure he would, because they did perform well at Copa America. They seem to have some chemistry going, and Sambrano seems to be a nice, uh, experienced head next to Abram as well as he has played for club and country. Um, moving over into the attack in general, which may transition us nicely into a year-end recap of the national team, Peru only had seven shots, and they have struggled offensively since probably on and off since the World Cup ended. Um, They've had their moments for sure, but overall, they still don't look that uh, creative in the final third, which has to be a problem heading into qualifiers. Now, this was also an issue heading into Copa America, and as we all know, Peru made the final. 
knockout tournaments though are a lot different than qualifiers and the one thing that Peru was able to do that got them into the World Cup in the first place was scoring goals at crucial times not being afraid to shoot from distance working the ball in nicely into the box and then taking advantage of opportunities so in 15 games in 2019 they've been shut out now in eight of those They've only scored multiple goals in two games, which was against Bolivia and Chile at the Copa America. Going into 2020 and beyond, Kevin, is this a concern for you? So it, it is a concern um, that we, we have been shut out so frequently. But it, I, I want to keep in mind, you know, I want to be optimistic. You know, we've, we've seen that Yotun has, has been picking up some injuries. Cristian Cueva is, is clearly not playing. Uh, and there are most uh, creative outlets far as you know Guerrero Flores I have no doubt that they can they can slot them in they just need the opportunity so I, I can see us refreshing the attack a little bit with options like Cristian Benavente and Sergio Peña who are, are definitely performing well in Europe at this point so we'll have to see if they'll be able to assume you know one of their spots if if it comes down to it yeah that's actually a good point on just the whole rotation and, and, and players being hurt and, and whatnot. Gareca did test out different formations here after Copa America ended, which I don't think can be understated enough. That's going to change uh, the dynamic of games. Um, and they did have that win over Brazil. Yes, Brazil did not play their best 11. They maybe looked a little bit sluggish or, or not maybe taking the game as seriously as they would have if it was competitive. But there were still some decent moments. Um, and certainly the attack might have suffered because of the fact that a lot of players were in and out of form. They were hurt. The different formations were tested. Um, Michael, w w would you err on that side of the argument? Or do you feel like going forward, there are some concerns with the attack? I think it is a little bit concerning that they don't look as free scoring or they don't look as dangerous. But... I don't think Gareca will be overly concerned. I think Gareca knows what he's got and I think he trusts in those players who have done so well for him over the last few years. And I think he, you're not just overnight just going to discover another goal scorer who's, there's not so many Peruvians who are scoring 20 goals. Or those. I think he knows what he's got. I don't think the situation's changed so much in the last kind of three years. Only Paolo's a, a little bit older. So I, I wouldn't be any more concerned than I think Gareca would have been kind of a little bit with with a bit wanting kind of maybe more options for the last kind of three three years really. I don't think it, I don't think it's anything new. Um, so no, I'm I'm, I'm 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 no more concerned than I would have been two years ago. To be honest, Peter. Yeah, I I was very much um, trying to find the right word for it, but I wouldn't say pessimistic, but I was slightly concerned. But then I kind of thought back to. The, all those circumstances that maybe hampered the team from reaching its full potential. Um, just for clarity, I'll read out the overall numbers from 2019. Um, their record was five wins, three draws, seven losses. That is the most or highest number of defeats since 2015 when Gadeka first took over. But again, you got to consider that there were a lot of friendlies mixed in there, different formations were tested, and they did ultimately make a Copa America final in the end. So not a lot of people will care about that when they look back at 2019. Um, but there were only 11 goals scored in those 15 games. That's 0.73 goals per 90 minutes. They conceded 18, about 1.2 per 90 minutes. They averaged about 9.5 shots uh, per 90 
and conceded 10.5 per 90 over the course of 2019. And if you look at the underlying numbers, the expected goals, uh, 0.93 expected goals per 90 minutes, 1.33 expected goals against per 90 minutes. We'll go over to some listener questions because we got a couple along this theme. The first one is from at a underscore Brian asking, it's been a really inconsistent year. Should this irregular form be something to worry about now that qualifiers are coming? He specifically points out uh, the lack of forwards, which Michael touched on, because he says Guerrero's age is showing more and more with every match, and it doesn't seem to phase Gareca. So, Michael, what would you say to to that statement? That it doesn't phase Gareca. No, I don't. I don't think. Well, I don't think many things phase Gareca. To be honest, <laughs> I think he's. I think. I think he's such a placid character. I don't think he. I don't think he. I don't think he's. He's too worried. I think he's fully aware. Of, as I said before, I think he's fully aware of the situation. I think he fully understands what he's got. I think he fully understands what what what, what options he has. I think he knows the young players who are who are kind of coming through. I think if he didn't have to rely on him so much, I think in an ideal world, he wouldn't rely on someone who's his age. But I think he's he's well aware that he doesn't have so many options. He's not blessed with the opportunity. He can't just kind of leave him aside because he's not got a 22-year-old who's coming through who's kind of banging at the door to come in. So I think I think, I think Gareca is so pragmatic. That I think he's just going to do the best he can with what he's got and... That's why he plays the four four two because he's trying to think of different situations. What can he? How can he get Rui Diaz to to kind of uh, play like he does in in the United States? Because he obviously sees what well, Rui Diaz had a had a had a great year in Seattle. So I think I think Gareca's just going to play around with it a little bit, and well, he doesn't have any time now because eliminatorias are, are upon us now, aren't they? But I think I think he's just going to try different things and and uh, and and make sure he's got different options up his sleeve. I think with a consistent 11, Paolo won't look like his age as much as he has in his last couple of appearances. Um, Yes, he's 35 years old. He's going to be 36 by the time the qualifiers start, which just is baffling to me to think that he is already going to be 36 in January. Um, Yes, his shot totals are down for Peru, but he's not doing anything that differently compared to when he plays for Internacional. The difference is... He has more weapons around him with his club, um, and everybody's in form. Everybody's on the same page. That's not the case with Peru. Um, Edison Flores has been playing more centrally, which opens that space for Trauco and Yotun, or whoever plays in in Yotun's role. There's no real strong option on the right wing. Uh, Advincula is really the only player who kind of drives forward uh, on a consistent basis, but teams are honing in on him more because they understand he's really the only threat there. And then in some ways, look, as much as he has been in trouble this year, and maybe as off as he's looked for Peru, uh, no cueva, no party in some ways, because I think the team in general kind of loses a little something without that creativity there. You hope Benavente or Peña provides that, um, but without Cueva, I, I feel like the team's structure overall gets a little bit out of whack, and Paolo is one of those affected by it, unfortunately. Um, but I feel like with a more consistent 11, he will perform up to his standard, and then I think these concerns will dissipate over time. Um, over to 
a question about the eliminatorias um, because they start in March and the draw for those is going to be in mid-December. believe it's December the 17th is when we will know the full fixture list. Um, but Carew at Carew underscore seven asked, how important is the fixture schedule for the World Cup qualifiers? How do you feel about opening up a way versus Colombia and at home versus Chile if things stay the same as rumored? That is the rumored uh, first set of matches for Peru. We will see if that stands up. But Kevin, how important is the fixture schedule in general and, and especially those first two games, whether it is Colombia, Chile, or, or whoever it happens to be? So, I, I mean... Regardless, you know, it's, it's a round robin. We're going to have to face everyone. Uh, if I had personal preference, I, I just wouldn't play in Brazil on the last match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. But I, I mean, uh, aside from that, I, I wouldn't mind playing against selecciones that are, are rebuilding right now. Chile, Paraguay, Ecuador. I wouldn't mind. But either way, it's a competitive level. From, from the strongest to the weakest opponent in, in Conmebol. So we're just going to have to tough it out and and do what Gareca did last time. Definitely so. Definitely so. Final question from our listeners uh, from Soccer Peru at Soccer Peru 2, asking, has the U23 team grown enough during last month's post-Pan Am disaster uh, any chance of making well in the Pre-Olimpicos, which will start in January? Michael, I know you watch on occasion some of these players for the under-23s in the league. Peru is in a group with Brazil, Uruguay, Paraguay, and Bolivia in the Pre-Olympic tournament. Do you feel like uh, Solano and company will kind of right the wrongs of that Pan Am tournament and show that, basically, do you think that they will perform better than last time and that maybe from a, a senior national team point of view, there will be some positives to take away from it. Well, I certainly hope so. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I definitely think the thing is this time Solano's had time with them. They seem to have been, he's had a lot of days where he can, he can work with the, with the players. And um, before the Panamericanos, he didn't have too much time, did he at all? Like, I don't remember exactly how many, how many days or training sessions he had, but he, he, they were a bit thrown into it. Um, so I think you would expect to see an improvement from then just because Solano's had more time on the training pitch to, to, to get the players, to get his message across. So then he knows what he wants them to do. So I think if they were to have a disappointing run now, having had more time, I think it would call into question a little bit what, what Solano's doing. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We know there's players there who have got plenty of promise and, and they should be able to give a good account of themselves. So let, let's wait and see. Fingers crossed. That let's hope they, they do they, and they show what they've got. Indeed, there that will be very interesting to look at. I'm actually excited to to see what they can do because there are some talented players there. Uh, to, to close out this section, guys, let's just look back uh, on 2019 as a whole. Um, there were plenty of highs and lows. Obviously, the highs being the Copa America run um, to the final, the first one for Peru since 1975, uh, ended in defeat, unfortunately, but an amazing run nonetheless. And then there were some lows. Kevin, when you look back on 2019, obviously we're going to remember Copa America, but how would you describe how, how the year went for Peru in general? Surprising. Surprising I, I, is probably the, the first thing that comes to mind. We saw, you know, the the, the pairing of, of Zambrano and Abram in, in, the, in the Copa America. 
which we hadn't seen them play together at all coming into it, uh, if I recall correctly. I think, yeah, I think Zambrano had a knock, and he came as a surprise uh, call-up. Um, aside from that, the, you know, Canchita showing up as, as a decent squad player um, was, was promising. Costa finally, you know, having another player to, to possibly, you know, challenge Carillo, Polo for, for a spot. It's, it's good to see new faces. And I, I think Gareca has done a, a decent job of of trying at least uh, new players or bringing back older players like Zambrano, Asquez. And I think that while everything didn't go according to plan, especially like with uh, the friendlies just now, you know, Chile canceling a match, I think that we, we, we do have a strong enough squad to to start the eliminatorias. We'll see what happens after that. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, when you were talking about the eliminatorias from our uh, listener earlier, there are a lot of rebuilding squads at the moment. The only real certainties you can say at this point in time are probably Uruguay, Brazil, maybe Argentina. Like even Colombia, you can see you're trying to test out different things. Um, and, and even Argentina, to a degree, are testing out different things. And defensively, they're still kind of a mess. So they can always be there for the taking if they come to Lima. Uh, so at least to start with, at least in that first year, there will be some winnable games in there, you would imagine. Uh, Michael, when you look back on 2019, what will you think of? What were your takeaways? The history books will show the Copa America. I think it's a really difficult year to analyse because I think it was a difficult year for Gareca to manage because the World Cup's finished in 2018, your eliminatorias are in 2020. So you've got to plan ahead for the eliminatorias, changing your team a little bit, freshening things up. Yet that Copa America in the middle meant that there was something immediate that you had to focus on. So I think it's I think it's I think it's a really I think I think it's been a weird year. The history books will show I think it's the year Gareca where they've had the lowest win rate, haven't they? I think they've out of the games they've won, I think they've won was it thirty or forty percent? I can't. There was something in the paper which is a, it's the lowest one on if you if you go, if you compare the different calendar years that he's been there. However. I don't think that necessarily tells a story. For example, that game against Colombia on Friday night is down as a defeat, but it, well, it could have been it could have been nil nil, couldn't it? It could, have, it could have been. The most important thing is what Garek has learned from it. He's found a defence. Maybe we all know how good 2019 has been. I suspect when the eliminatorias start, and if that first game, if it's Colombia away and and Colum- and Peru look really well set, and it looks like the the team's moved on, then you'll know that 2019 has been has been successful in that sense. Looking over to 2020 and beyond, there is a Copa América in there, speaking of, um, which is going to be a little bit strange again. You start eliminatorias, and then you got to prepare for this tournament uh, right afterwards. But, Kevin, we see that Gareca's options to call up certain players were hampered by the under-23 cycle. Do you feel like we're going to see maybe a repeat of what happened in 2016 when he brought in the Tapias, the, the Ruidias of the world. Do you feel like with that crop that he might try to to sort of maybe cast one eye onto the end of the 2022 cycle with that Copa America? I don't think it will be as, as drastic as the 2016 Copa America where he, you know, basically called up a bunch of, of local domestic players 
but there there are spots for the taking. Um, you could you could certainly see players like like Kevin Quevedo possibly trying to fight for a spot, especially if he moves on to another another club. You could see other players like uh, possibly uh, Dylan Caro challenge, you know, for uh, a squad position and left back. Gianfranco Chavez, who who's really come out of out of nowhere to possibly be a squad player and center back. So you you don't have we don't have like a lot of of stars, but we have players that are so getting sufficient international experience to possibly start working their way into a, a squad and potentially end up being on the squad by the end of the eliminatoria. Fair enough. Uh, Michael, from your angle, do you feel like that could be a plan for Gareca to maybe call up a few more of those young players in that under-23 team and test them out in a tournament setting just to see what he might have for the rest of the qualifiers after that? Yeah, I agree with Kevin. I don't think he'll, don't think there'll be wholesale changes, but I imagine he will uh, introduce a few young players, a few new players through fresh places to to freshen things up and to to give them the experience on the international stage. Over to domestic football matters. Uh, the Clausura closes out this weekend. Um, it feels like it's been a whirlwind last few weeks because so much has happened. Uh, so much change has happened across the table. Um, but Alianza enter that final match day, top of the Clausura by one point over Sporting Cristal by beating Sport Huancayo. Alianza will go to Union Comercio in their final game. Um, that's going to be... Interesting to watch for both sides of the table. More on that a little bit later. While Sporting Cristal, uh, they clinched the top of the accumulated table and will go to Binacional for their final match. Um, guys, simply put, it's a very simple question, but maybe a bit difficult to answer. Who wins the Clausura? Kevin, we'll start with you first, seeing as how you are a man with a horse in this race. You know, I, after, after everything, I want to say Alianza, I think has the the easiest match on paper. On paper, they they're definite favorites going to Union Comercio, who is uh, fighting to get out of that last relegation spot, uh, as opposed to Cristal, who's playing away to be Nacional. Probably the toughest match right now in 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 this match day, and I believe Lau is playing against Real Garcia Lasso at home. Yeah, who's a you know who is a tough team. It's a tough team. I mean. I, I got I to gotta run with my horse. I think Alianza takes it. <laughs> Listen, I've said it many, many times, but under Pablo Bengochea, they just never say die. And even when they look down and out, they still end up getting there. So I feel like this is probably going to be their time. Uh, but let's see if, if Michael agrees. Michael, do you feel it's Alianza's title to lose? Yes. Uh, I, 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 I agree with you both. I think, uh, I think, I think Alianza will go and, and they'll win that last game and they'll take the close order. Not playing Altura, it's going to be hot weather, but I, I think they can handle it. Uh, it's the last game, I'm, I'm fairly sure they'll do it. Cristal have got a difficult trip to Juliaca, haven't they? So yeah. I don't see Cristal necessarily winning in against Binacional. I do actually think Lau will win. I think Lau will win to put pressure on Alianza, but I think Alianza will just about do enough. All right. Over to the end of the table because that's where probably you could argue more excitement is going on. Uh, Union Comercio were docked four points uh, stemming from the whole issue from uh, last week, which we discussed on the podcast. They're now in the relegation zone, one point adrift of Sport Boys 
and Deportivo Municipal. Um, I will read out the fixtures as follows, to, just based on who has who. We know that Comercio will host Alianza, but Sport Boys will be at uh, Sport Huancayo. They actually just parted ways with their coach, so maybe that could be a game that's there for the taking for boys, even though they will be going into the altitude. And then uh, Municipal will be going to Carlos Manucci on the final day. So, again, guys, simple question, maybe tough to answer, but who is going down after the final match day. Kevin, again, we will start with you. I I have a horse in this race, so Comercio's got to go down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do want to put a you know a side note. Um, I'm so happy San Martin has just pulled himself out of a relegation race after so much suffering. Michael, who do you feel is going down? Is it Comercio, as Kevin said, or do you have a different selection? No, same suggestion, I'm, I'm afraid. I, I, I think there's going to be contrasting emotions at that game. I think the yeah, worst Alianza will celebrate. I think it will mean tears for Union Comercio. I would agree with that as well. But as we know, improving football, it is pretty wild. Um, we will preview the playoffs uh, next week because, of course, we will know what has happened. Uh, we'll also talk about Liga Dos a little bit when Christopher comes back on the show because the playoffs will be uh, in the second round at that point, and it is heating up already uh, in the lower divisions of proving football. So lots of excitement coming up in the next couple of weeks for sure. So that will do it for us this evening. Thank you again for listening. You can follow the show at Peru Waltz. You can follow myself, Peter Galindo, at Galindo PW. Uh, Kevin, what is your handle? And if you have a final shout-out for the week, this is the time to do it. You can find me at kmontelvon7. And as far as shout-outs, I don't have anything off the top of my head. <laughs> Just that you hope Union Comercio goes down. That's it. Uh, yeah, I am focused on that. <laughs> and that Alianza wins, of course, as well. There you go. There you go. Uh, Michael, what is your handle? And again, if you have a final shout-out, you may give it as well. Uh, no, so my t- my Twitter handle is mtwilliams1987. And no, no, no shout-outs, but... Just uh, great news to see that the uh, Copa Libertadores, uh, the Libertadores final is going to be shown on BBC in Britain. So if we have any listeners in uh, in the UK, uh, they'll be able to watch that on BBC, which will be nice to get some kind of South American football on uh, on, on European TV, which will be which will be really nice. I've, n- I've never known the BBC to show anything like that before. And it's also on at a reasonable hour, I believe. I think it kicks off just before eight right. in the UK. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it, it's prime time BBC Two. So I, I imagine it's not been so expensive for them to get the rights for it. But I think I think it's really positive because uh, I suppose that's a little bit what the they wanted to do when they made the the Libertadores over one game. I, I suppose that was with, with mine, you know, trying to sell it to a, an audience around the world. So um, yeah, I, I hope people can tune in and, and watch it. Indeed, you can watch the game from the Monumental in Lima if you are available that night. Uh, should be a decent game for sure. So until then, uh, thank you again for listening. This is the Peruvian Waltz team, and we are signing off.